0: This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One Major League Soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The
1: blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space.
0: Michael Vaughn. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred.
1: Heidi O'Neill is president of Direct to Consumer at Nike.
0: And then the race car driver Helio Castroneves. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr.
1: I'm Evan Novi williams
0: Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with Jason Lake, founder and CEO of Complexity Gaming, the eSports team, part-owned by the Dallas Cowboys. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week, and let's begin with what i think is a great idea we had talked about this about bringing old games whether it's baseball football whatever during this work stoppage the yes network they're uh, having yankee legends involved in broadcast of the games and what's going to happen is that while the game is being played uh some of the uh legends will tweet and make comments during the game.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great idea. And again, you know, I think we hit the nail on the head last last week. You know, just simply re-airing old games I don't think is good enough to get people involved. But a, a way you can is if you bring in people who played in those games, people who coached in those games, producers who produced those games, and either on the TV itself or, you know, on a second screen in this case, as you said, Twitter, allowing them to, you know, bring fans Deeper into what those experiences were like. So, as you said, the Yankees are doing this with with Yes Network, their their regional sports network. You know, they had David Cohn tweeting recently about the 1996 uh, World Series clinching game against the Atlanta Braves. They're going to have Paul O'Neill do one of these. They're going to have Michael Kay do one. They have Yes Network producers that are hopping in as well. I think this is a great idea.
0: Oh, I, I'd love this idea. I'd love to see you know old announcers uh, come in and and add their splash to the game uh, and, and it would be kind of funny too, is like maybe someone commits an error during the game, or someone tweets in is like, yeah, I remember you did that. <laughs> that would yeah, be good. yeah,
1: it's funny. I, I I saw someone saying that during one of the things. Joe uh, David Cohn was talking about how hard Wade Boggs need him in the back of the head when they were all piling on <laughs> celebrating the fact that they'd won a World Series. You know, it's little things like that that I think are you know kind of exactly what fans want to hear, and they don't get that experience obviously when you're watching a live game. So you know why not be able to provide that, you know, in retrospect, especially now when there's when there's when there's fewer options around.
0: Well this can work for any game like it was any sport. And it's like we were saying earlier. It's this will work for a football game or or whatever. I'd like to see more of this. I hope this catches on. It's a good idea by the Yes Network. Agreed. Something else that's a good idea for Major League Baseball. Uh they're going to pay minor leaguers four hundred dollars per week at least until May 31st. Obviously, they're not playing because of the coronavirus crisis.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of tension right now between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, which we can't get into <laughs> right now because we don't have the time. But, you know, I think kudos to, to Major League Baseball for, for agreeing, as you said, to backstop $400 a week weekly allowance for, for Minor League Baseball players, at least through the end of May. I believe their season was supposed to start April 8th, you know, so that you know that covers them at least for a little bit. If I think about, you know, the sports properties, big sports properties that are most affected, I think, by, by the fact that these games aren't going on, minor league baseball teams might be top of the list. Uh, and, you know, folks who aren't familiar with how the whole economy works, minor league baseball players themselves are paid by major league baseball, which is why baseball is stepping in to do this. Um, but I am a little concerned about maybe the long-term effect of whether teams can stay operational if games aren't happening at all.
0: Well, this is interesting because weekly minimum salaries on full-season minor league teams range from $290 at Class A to $502 at AAA over the five-month season. And what it could That's mean... That's not a lot of money. It's not. $290 it's not,
1: a week is yeah, not
0: a lot of money. It's not that much at all. But some of these players might make more during this work stoppage, at least during this time.
1: Yeah, and I, I would imagine they would probably trade the opportunity to play and, and potentially move up in, in levels versus maybe getting a little bit more on the on the weekly allowance. But, yeah, I mean, I think that those numbers are are stark to me. Because remember, you know, those are not – you can't multiply that out just to get their, their annual salary because they're not getting paid when they're not playing, right. you know. But you, no question, $290 a week, you know, for a Class 8, minor league baseball players is not a lot of money. And just to give you a sense of, of how potentially vulnerable, you know, the these situations are, if baseball, you know, theoretically, if this games can't start in May, if they have to go into June or July or, you know, even worse, maybe even deeper into the season, if baseball can't continue to, to, to backstop the these salaries, you know, it shows you how, how quickly things might fall apart.
0: And there is another major casualty from the coronavirus crisis it was the Tokyo Olympics earlier, and now a uh, tennis great Wimbledon has been cancelled. And uh, some players have described it as a kick in the gut, not felt since the world wars. That's the last stoppage for Wimbledon.
1: Yeah, and if you think about you mentioned the Olympics, you know, which was supposed to take place in Tokyo uh, in late July and early August. Wimbledon also, you know, kicks off tipped off I believe end of end of June, the, the final week of June and then into July, which gives you a sense of of how far in advance some sports properties are thinking right now about how long they they may have to go without either having fans in in attendance at events or even having the events at all. So I mean, I think that Wimbledon certainly resonated this year this this week even though you know, all the sports are canceled, I think, because it made people realize, oh, man, end of June, early July, they're already calling that off now. We may be in for a much longer stoppage than than maybe a lot of sports fans were hoping for when the NBA made its first move almost three three
0: weeks ago. I don't see how any sporting event can take place at least till the end of summer, and we're talking about now starting in September, maybe the NFL can get something going but i don't see any other leagues doing anything
1: you're you're right michael and and to think that you know when 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 the nba pulled the plug on its season you know in, in mid march you know the original thought was maybe maybe a month you know maybe 30 days and maybe we can get back to playing you know since since that i think a lot of people major league baseball postponed its opening day for two weeks yeah. You know, so, so there was certainly a lot more optimism. We, we know a lot more about what's happening right now, and I think the, the, the science has pervaded a little bit more. Uh, but I think you're right. And if I was an NFL owner, I would be thinking right now about potential contingency plans. What does this look like if we can't start on time? What does it look like if we can't have fans in the stadium in the beginning? Same with college football. I mean, I think that every, every week it feels like we're talking about a, a, an elongated timeline in terms of sports being dark. We are honored to have on the podcast today eSports OG Jason Lake, founder and CEO of the eSports organization Complexity Gaming. Jason, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So we have spent the last two or three weeks, maybe four weeks, even talking to folks, executives in the sports world who are struggling without their games. It's actually kind of refreshing, I think, for all of us to have a conversation with someone whose business, at least the core business, is still up and running. Can you give me a sense of exactly where complexity gaming is right now from a business standpoint and how much of what you're normally doing you're still able to do even in these crazy times?
2: Yeah, it's uh, definitely crazy times. Um, the the irony is, you know, the eSports world kind of started working from our home bedrooms and over Skype and, and other technology back in the day. So for us, it, it's taking a step back into the past, a little blast from the past, but uh, it's still full steam ahead. Um, you know, our competitions are, are going on, you know, albeit they've been moved online and, and a lot of brick and mortar type of events have been canceled, obviously. Um, but we're still having a lot of uh, entertainment and and competition, and I think uh, this time esports is a good aberration as uh, we're still moving forward.
1: Can you give us a sense, just for folks who who maybe aren't familiar with complexity gaming, how many individual teams do you have, and and where are they located? They're not all centrally down in Dallas, right?
2: Yeah, at any one time, we generally have 8 to 10 teams. Esports is kind of an umbrella term uh, that encompasses pro video gaming across multiple games. Um, and we have players all around the world. Our, our core teams generally live and train in Dallas um, at our headquarters. Uh, we're headquartered at the Star in Frisco, which is also, um, you know, the home of our sister company, the Dallas Cowboys. And we built out a pretty futuristic training facility there. Um, unfortunately, you know, as, as things have played out, we've, we've actually gone ahead and closed that, uh, I guess, a few weeks back. I'm losing track of the days at this point. <laughs> and, <laughs> we uh, all are. Everyone is everyone's working remotely and and playing remotely, Um, but we're surprisingly um, effective at at doing so. You know, our sales teams can take their calls. Our our video guys can can edit their videos. Um, You know, we use Discord and Slack and other technologies to to have our meetings and stay in touch with our corporate partners. And our gamers can uh, play in online events, which aren't, you know, ideal. Um, Traditionally, pro esports is best, um, you know, completed at, at, at what we call LAN events, where everyone's kind of in the same place and there's very little latency and there, there's referees on sites and things like that. Um, but, you know, in times like this, we can move our events online and, and still have competition, which, uh, you know, it's kind of funny to me. I've been in the space 17 years and, and for years and years debating, you know, are esports real sports and da, 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 da. It's like, it's kind of irrelevant <laughs> now as we
0: seem to be the only sports. That's what I ask. It's like it's unfortunate why you guys are the only game in town, but here it is, and uh, now we've got IndyCar virtual racing, we've got NASCAR (laughs) virtual racing. So I I mean, this at least for you guys can't help but to boost your product.
2: You know, it it is. Yeah, you you hate that it's. Because of of, of this reason, and it's obviously a a global tragedy and a really tough situation, but, you know, my father always taught me if you're handed a bunch of lemons, you try to make lemonade, and if you can, you sell that lemonade. And and, uh, eSports has definitely been pushed to the forefront of sports entertainment. Um, The other day there was a a NASCAR Pro Invitational um, iRacing series that had like 1.3 million viewers, um, and that was on Fox. And, and NBC just announced uh, very recently that they're going to be doing some different kind of racing and broadcasting that. Um, ESL has their Counter-Strike League that was meant to be played in Malta, and I was supposed to be going over there, but that was moved online. And it saw concurrent viewership of over 355,000. Um, you know, for online matches, that, that's a significant number. You know, Twitch in general, um, in the news just this morning, announced a 23. Percent increase um, from March of last year. Um, so people are watching gaming; they're participating in gaming in record numbers. Um, viewership set record numbers, and uh, it, it's a really interesting time for our business. You know, on the human level, setting aside the business for a moment, and I think gaming has always um, been one of the favorite selections for this generation, um, as far as just entertainment and and, and, and escapism and, and just relaxation and. During this really difficult time, I think gaming is providing a conduit for people to stay in contact with their friends and, and, and relax and, you know, and kind of get away from, from the everyday while, while being quarantined. So not only is it exploding in viewership and participation you know the world health organization came out with an article uh, a day or so ago talking about how gaming could be a really healthy pastime during this difficult time and get people's minds off things and communicate with their friends and do different activities and it's a bit ironic because not too long ago uh, the world health organization was bashing bashing gaming is this horrible unhealthy pastime um so yeah it's it's strange days indeed
1: it's funny you, you're talking about the kind of the, the growth in, in gaming potentially during this, and and I think a lot of people associate esports and gaming as the exact same thing, and they're not right. exactly. You know, they're they're certainly related. I'm curious if you think that you know I think the traditional thought was that the 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 gateway to esports was gaming, and that if you played the games and understood the games, you eventually kind of naturally gravitated towards the people that were doing it at, at a much higher level than you. Right. This opportunity right now with all the other sports shut down almost feels like it's a potentially totally new gateway where it's a gateway from people who love watching other pros to to pros in a different sport instead of maybe you know grassroots up from the gaming side
2: yeah i think you're right you know why traditional sports are on hiatus it's almost looking like this is going to be a catalyst um, for the growth in the esports business. Like, like you correctly mentioned, gaming, gaming is kind of the larger, um, big brother to esports, which is a subsegment that we're seeing a lot more people be exposed with. There's this incredible vacuum of any competitive activity and compelling, you know, entertainment. Um, unless you want to sit and binge Netflix uh, all day, there's, there's just not a, a lot of content so esports has been able to kind of fill in that gap and step in and provide entertainment to people that otherwise you know might have never considered sitting and watching a digital race on fox right um which is uh which is kind of interesting but um you know i think gaming is providing a very healthy pastime for for millions if not billions of people um you know verizon uh was quoted as saying gaming was up 75 percent i think month over month at one point and uh you know, overall, it's it's a difficult situation for a lot of people. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are getting exposed to what we do. And and the fact that this entertainment and competition is very compelling. And, you know, I think a lot of sponsors and and people that invest in sponsorship dollars in the ecosystem are going to really need to recalibrate how they look at their spends moving forward. And I think this is proving once again, that Esports are digital sports for the whole new digital era that we live in. And, uh, you know, I think over the next year or two, maybe even three years, it's going to be interesting to see how many people want to really fill these stadiums um, for traditional sports and, and watch some of these events. Um, you know, obviously, we all hope we're going to return to normal sooner rather than later. But the beauty of esports is uh, we can just move back online and, and have our competitions and run our businesses, and it's full steam
0: ahead and i'm a huge racing fan and if someone would have told me i would be sitting down on a national telecast watching an esports race i'd have said they were crazy but there i was glued to the tv set when they were racing at texas or the virtual texas uh and and in uh, and, and homestead miami uh, florida uh this is going to be i'm wondering if this is going to expand not only to racing because you can do it very well for racing but will we see it for football? Will we see it for baseball?
2: Having a conversation earlier this morning, um, you know, how EA had to be out, uh, you know, looking for media deals and looking for different content uh, distribution channels right now because they've got FIFA and they've got Madden NFL and, and different games that might uh, be really fun for people to watch. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what games really – Translate well on traditional television. You know, we we've always kind of been on the internet and distributed our content over the internet. Many of the games are played over the internet, and we've had mixed success really moving into the traditional television markets. Um, but yeah, the the NASCAR event did phenomenal, and I think we're going to see um, much more of that as networks you know are starved for content and. You know, ESPN, airs some interesting quote-unquote sports from time to time, um, you know, and I won't call any out and get in trouble, but I can only imagine their executives are out, you know, really scouring the esports landscape to find which games and, and which competitions might be best suited for their audiences.
1: Are you Are you getting those phone calls? I mean, is your phone in the past two weeks, are you getting calls from sponsors that you maybe haven't worked with or from networks that you haven't worked with? Asking about, you know, maybe some opportunities with you guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's still a pretty surreal time. You know, we always have active conversations going on where we're educating brands about esports and discussing different ways we can collaborate to get their brands integrated into esports. Um, some of those conversations have really slowed to a halt as offices and corporations have have, have been closing, um, and others have kind of sped up to where you know they've got different marketing budgets. Brands need to advertise. That, that's not going to mm-hmm. change those, those levels and where are they going to do it change right now? in this economy yeah. yeah um where are the outlets that are really getting the eyeballs and, and things like that so we've had some really exciting calls and some inbound interest um you know i think a lot of companies are are, are still reeling a little bit and trying to figure out what the game plan is moving forward but i do expect that we're going to see a lot more brands um already on the back of a lot of blue chips that have figured out eSports is a great way to reach this generation, the next generation, you know, younger people that are computer and tech literate, usually college bound, they're going to have discretionary income in the near future to spend on their brands, And they don't have that brand loyalty. You know, if I'm a Ford guy, I'm always going to be a Ford guy. I'm 48 years old, I'm over the hill. But if my son you know it has exposure to different car brands because they're activating in spaces that he cares about like watching esports you know those brand decisions haven't been made and esports has been will continue to be a really viable option for different brands to you know speak to the next generation and speak to the you know the younger valuable demographics so i think so- you know unfortunately the situation um, you know, ha- has been rough on a lot of people, and just this morning the numbers came in for 6.6 million new unemployment claims, and it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, but for people in our industry, I think um, the future of esports is bright. And um, despite the circumstances, I think we might actually come out better on the other side of this.
0: One thing that has happened with esports, it was starting to take off uh, in high schools. There were uh, high school teams that had esports. My son was on the team. And then, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of schools uh, canceled for the rest of the year. Uh, Hopefully that will pick back up uh, starting uh, maybe in the fall when we're past all of this. But can you give your thoughts about the uh, high school eSports teams? Yeah, it's a great
2: point. And, you know, the Scholastic eSports really started more at the collegiate level um, to where colleges were quickly discovering many of their students um, competed in these games, and, and they were very interested in and having, you know, collegiate-level teams. So when this started happening, scholarships started um, being created. Um, I mean, given it's not like, uh, you know, NCAA Division One football scholarships, but, hey, there's scholarship money to be had if you're good at video games. Now, who you know, mom never would have thought, right? And once those scholarships started to arise, high schools started kind of, uh, you know, their eyebrows raised and like, wait a minute, our students might be able to get help going to college because they're good at video games? So, you know, (laughs) high school teams have have been forming thousands all around the country. And the beautiful thing about competing in video games is is in some ways it's much more aspirational than traditional sports because not everyone is 6'3", 240 pounds. Not everyone can dunk a basketball. But a lot of people can sit down and put in the time and use their, you know, use their natural God-given abilities, and and, you know, and brain power to, to be good at video. And in that way, it's a lot more aspirational for a larger segment of the high school population than some traditional sports and i think we're going to continue to see the proliferation of high school esports moving forward
1: you hear this question a lot in other sports but you've been in gaming for such a long time how much better are gamers now than the quote-unquote elitist gamers you know 20 years ago in uh playing computer games
2: I'd say significantly better. Um, you know, the analogy I use is, you know, golfers were pretty good, but once you started seeing Tiger Woods swing a golf club when he was two years old, you could see the exponential kind of increase in the overall skill set. And, you know, now gamers are starting to play with their their mom and dad at younger and younger ages. And my son started at two years old and he has grown up with a controller and a keyboard and, you know, in his hands and, Some of the skill we're seeing from 13, 14-year-olds is quite staggering. We have a summer camp at uh, our headquarters, the GameStop Performance Center. And in the GameStop Performance Center, we have iPads. um, It's a system built by Mamba Sports Academy, which is designed to measure your twitch reaction speed, color pattern recognition. Basically, how fast are you? How fast can you react to things? And, you know, when we bring in 13-year-olds and they're scoring as high a scores as some of our uh, older gamers making six figures, you know, it just makes <laughs> me smile because the next generation is really fast and they're going to be really good at games.
1: You know, as we talked about earlier, you have athletes around the world right now who are still competing. Obviously, they can compete digitally in in, in the actual games themselves, how much are you guys kind of struggling with, you know, providing them the services that you usually do when they're all in one place or sitting in a house, you know, mental health or even physical health services that might be a little harder when everybody is, you know, in disparate places?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, We've actually invested a significant amount in our infrastructure, Uh, like I mentioned earlier, and our headquarters um, was really built to be at the cutting edge of performance um, and taking care of our gamers and and focus on on their mental health and you know we have an area of our headquarters called the decompression porch where they can go just to relax and, and kind of you know meditate and, and you know our, our performance coach meets with them um, in a cog lab which is short for cognition lab and uh, you know so that infrastructure is obviously idle right now which is which is disappointing um, so our, our our sports psychologist is meeting with their players over the phone rather than in person um, we don't have the same level of physical training um, because all of our gamers have memberships to Cowboys Fit on the property. You know, we have a sports hospital across the street. So if there's any kind of reactive medical care that's needed or physicals that are needed, we just walk across the street. And all this infrastructure for now is shattered. Um, we're doing our the best idea to make keep sure in touch. Go ahead.
1: The idea of your gamers working out alongside the Cowboys at that at that <laughs> facility i, I find uh, i find very fun <laughs> visually <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah we, we we take great lengths and, and spend a year and a half designing our
1: facilities to really you know
2: mirror the best parts of traditional sports at the professional level you know they eat alongside the cowboys at the cowboys training table breakfast and lunch five days a week and that's obviously closed and they get their exercise on property which is closed and their medicine on property which is closed um, so it's not ideal. And we're making do like, like everyone else in this difficult time, um, you know, with phone calls and making sure that we're checking in on people and, and doing the best we can to support them. We're just grateful that our, our sport can continue to take place and our competitions can, can move forward while, you know, a lot of others are, are suffering during this time. So uh, it's not ideal, but uh, like I said, a couple of times, it's still full steam ahead
0: of complexity a salute to super duper engineer and producer charles volmer with this question and it's a great one what's the average length of a gamer's career
2: it is a great question
0: and you know we've seen the gamer careers
2: actually get longer and longer for years we started to wonder in the late 20s if they were losing their twitch reaction speed and skill or if it was an economic um, variable that was causing people to retire and as the economies of our business have grown significantly we're seeing people play well into their, you know, younger to mid thirties at the mm-hmm. professional level, kind of settling once and for all. It's not necessarily that you get slow when you get old. <laughs> it's you know, they were getting girlfriends and fiancés and uh, boyfriends and, and marrying off and, and you know, going into more lucrative careers. And so now we're starting to see careers last quite a bit longer. And you know, we make significant investments into some of our top gamers. So. We make sure that their physical therapy and all that takes place so we can try to ward off things like carpal tunnel and tennis elbow and other problems. Um, but, yeah, I think we're going to continue to see longer careers as the sport grows over the coming years.
1: Jason, I want to change change gears a little bit. You, you've mentioned a, a few times the, the, the situation you guys have on the ground in Frisco, you know, I think that that facility, what Jerry Jones built there is kind of a a modern day or maybe even just the future of the way that sports teams become more than just a team. They become, you know, real estate moguls and and, and can build community centers for multiple teams. For our listeners that don't know, give us a sense of what it's like down there in Frisco um, and kind of all the things that are on the ground at your fingertips when you're there oh yeah it's uh,
2: the star is really a fantastic facility it's a multi-use facility which is obviously home to the cowboys and they have an indoor football field inside a field uh, a center called ford center that seats 16,000 people there's an omni hotel on the property um, there's a large office complex on the property and there's also restaurants bars um, you know sushi hamburger pizza ice cream steakhouse so In this almost small community, um, there's a lot of entertainment options. There's a fitness gym called Cowboys Fit. There's a sports hospital by Baylor Scott and White right across the street. There's luxury apartments across the street. So when you enter into the facility, it's not like a traditional facility that might be kind of out in the countryside surrounded by chain link fence. It's very much open to the community and, and almost like a hub of activity in the Frisco area. So our employees and, and our gamers really enjoy coming here because you know they can get breakfast, uh, nutritious breakfast, and lunch five days a week. They can get their exercise. They can get the mm-hmm. medical care, and then you know after work they can go out and have sushi with their coworkers. Um, so it's really something special that they built. You know, it's uh, I think a lot of teams will probably replicate it in the future, and we sure feel really honored and blessed to uh, have our esports team alongside uh, you know America's
0: team, the Dallas Cowboys. All right, I have a suggestion. This this is if if you take this idea, remember I'm the guy that gave you this oh, idea God. and I want it. All right, here's my idea. What if we had a virtual game show? Because everybody now can get in on the virtual game show. So, I mean, you have it, you know, everybody in America can get in, log in on their computers and, you know, whatever you want, you know, you you send your cards the letters, whatever, or you get selected and the person on the other end can play this virtual game show. And, uh, I think that's what a think?
2: fantastic idea. I want in.
0: I want in <laughs> the on it. Price is
2: right from your from yeah. your home. Yeah, <laughs>
0: this uh, that's it. it you can you can come I'm up in, with the concept of up. the game show, man. <laughs> I, this would be great. You know, I, you, see, see, Evan, I'm worth something, man. That You're is so, a fantastic
2: is, idea. You need to move on. It Sounds like first. Trivia
0: HQ in some ways.
2: Yeah, it's the first yeah. thing that came to my mind too. That that's been resurrected, back up
1: and running apparently.
0: But it, but it can yeah, go for think, anything. Which I think was smart. Oh, see, I'm yeah. I'm in on this, man. I want to be the announcer. That's a great idea. Well done.
1: <laughs> Jason, we'll we'll mm-hmm. let you out on this one. Have you talked to Jerry Jones during this time? I I've always felt like esports have done such a good job of relating to young people on social media with with quick video content, etc. And certainly at times when, you know, sports are not running, traditional sports teams need to learn those skills. I'm curious if the Cowboys have reached out to you at all, asked for maybe your expertise or some of the social media guys that you have just to give them advice on what the best way it is to reach people when the games themselves aren't happening.
2: Uh, Yeah, the Cowboys have a a really great social media and content production team. They've got a full TV studio on the property and a a full podcast studio. Um, And we've been, even well before this, collaborating on like best practices from what we see on our end, since we are kind of born and bred in the digital age, and what they've learned about, you know, catering to to fan bases and providing content that's valuable, and we've had those conversations for the last two and a half years since we centralized our operations here in Texas. And, you know, we've learned a great deal and it always makes me feel good when, when they come to us and be like, hey, we've learned a lot from you guys, too. Like you said about quick video and, and some of these different things. So, you know, we collaborate with their organization on multiple levels from finance and legal and marketing and social and content and and a lot of different things. So you know, it, it's been a joy working with their team. I think they're one of the best in the business. And it definitely makes me smile when I get a call from Derek over there saying, uh, hey, you know, we picked this up from you guys and uh, we're going to use it." So, both boys.
1: Is there an example that you can give from something that you guys have kind of provided for them that, that they, they took and run with it?
2: um there's been a lot of, of different specific examples but generally speaking like you said it's a lot about short form it's it's a lot about in and out um content that doesn't take long to consume that's kind of catered um for digital and mobile and things like that a lot of those paths they were already on but when they could take a look at esports and, and how we kind of cater to the younger generation it, it kind of gives them a guide um when the average age of their fans is kind of scaling up, you're going to see NFL, um, and the NBA is already doing this, starting to create content that is custom-created for younger fans, a younger generation, because they need to get those younger eyeballs as my generation ages out. And uh, you know, it's been really interesting to see. And I think you, you'll, you're going to see a lot more NFL teams go in that direction over the next two years. Because in my opinion, they might be a little behind the NBA in that regard, so it'll be fun to watch.
1: So so while we're kind of on that topic, I'm not sure if you saw this, but when the NFL earlier this week announced that it was, you know, the the broadcast partners for its two additional playoff games, the one that's going to be on CBS is going to have a simulcast version on Nickelodeon that will be a totally different broadcast aimed at youth. (laughs) I'm curious. You are, you know, the youth audience better than most is, is a telecast on Nickelodeon the right way to do that? Or is a telecast on Twitch the right way to do that? I guess I'm curious I would if TV personally is, is still the...
2: Uh, you know, yeah, the, the Twitches and, and the YouTube lives of the world. Uh, but I guess, you know, you want to start somewhere. And that's just more evidence to what I said earlier. is They need to start scaling those ages down. And they're going to be actively reaching out to the younger demographics. You know, and I think... You know, they're always thinking six steps ahead. That's why they're so successful. And one of the reasons they got into esports with complexity was they realized you need to have these different products that can constantly speak to the younger generation. Those demographics are very valuable to sponsors. And uh, what we're trying to build here, you know, is really a digital sports property, a multi-generational billion-dollar sports property for the next generation, for kids that grew up on video games, for kids that grew up watching video games. And uh, that's what we're set out to do, and uh, I believe we're going to do it.
0: Jason Lake, founder and CEO of Complexity Gaming. Thank you so much for joining us and talking with us. It was fun. Thanks so much for having me. Jason Lake, he liked my idea, Evan. The virtual game (laughs) show live, man. This would work. You'd go on. it, It doesn't even have to be trivia. It could be anything. It could be concentration. It could be anything you want. And, and you got two contestants or whatever, and they're all going at it. I want to see that come soon.
1: I got a few takeaways. One, I want Bloomberg to install one of those decompression porches. <laughs> so when we're all back in the office, I think we should be uh, banding together to get one of those. Uh, two, you know, obviously, as he said, this is not the way you want to see an opportunity for, for your industry. Right. But now that it is here, it does seem as though, you know, there's an opportunity here for eSports uh, to maybe lend some of its practices around the <laughs> traditional sports world and also maybe to grow some more eyeballs. Um, and then lastly, you know, producer Charlie, good question there on, the, on the, uh, yeah. the, the, the length of eSports careers. This idea that eSports careers seemed like they were short just because of the economic opportunity wasn't there. So people eventually hit an age where they needed to do something else. But now that there's a lot more money in esports, they're kind of redefining the length of a career. I think that's a really interesting, you know, economic and sports study kind of seeing when those two things combine. My goal is don't to be the
0: number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since was kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. My... We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. We have to give credit for the number of the week to Michael McKee, the extraordinaire, talent here at bloomberg for this question and this is involving the nhl except for the lockout in 2005 there was only one other year when the stanley cup was not awarded what year and why now i we have to admit it stumped me at first and then we all had to cheat and peek at the answer so you guys at home don't peek at the answer see if you can even come up with it I will give you a hint. The irony of it is is similar to what might happen this upcoming season.
1: Yeah, so I I kind of assumed that this was going to be a world war because so many of the other major sports leagues shut down, didn't have events, tournaments were canceled, et cetera. Uh, but answer turns out that it's nineteen nineteen, um, and it was canceled. Right at the end, they were, they were pretty close to, 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 having, uh, to, to awarding a champion. Uh, but the Spanish flu, for folks who understand the year, um, because of that pandemic, uh, the, the, the actual event between the, the Canadians and the Seattle Metropolitans never actually got finished. And you're right, Michael. I do wonder if you know, this trivia is going to have an addendum to it in a couple months. And unfortunately, that addendum may be that the second time that the Stanley Cup was not awarded was also because of a global pandemic.
0: You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcasts, and you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Barr Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Please
1: tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.